Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. And thank you for joining us. If you are new, glad you found us. If you'd like to learn more, we are at restorationaz.org. This week, we dive into week one of a five-week series about hospitality. Landon Myers brings us the word as we talk about hospitality to the foreigner. With that said, uh, we'll be in Leviticus chapter 19. I have one other disclaimer today, this sermon, if you want to call it that. It's going to be a little bit different than our last few. We're going to cover a lot of the scriptures, and here's why. Oftentimes when we approach God's word, we, we can make a couple mistakes. One of those mistakes is that we think everything in God's word is prescriptive. It's a prescription. It's something that we are to go and do, and that just isn't the case. Much of the scriptures are, probably most, I should say, are descriptive. They're describing what is going on. Now, we still find things out about who God is. That's the primary thing going on, and then we're given instruction based on that, but it's not necessarily just do what you read. Uh, Another way to think about this is that the Bible was absolutely written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to a unique audience and a unique culture. So we have to go, what is God doing consistently with this character that doesn't change from the beginning to end? And then what is God's character calling us to now? And so as we embrace this topic of hospitality, this morning's topic, specifically week one of the series, is hospitality to the foreigner and stranger. Next week will be uh, hospitality to your neighbor, part one, so geographic, the people that live near you. Week three, hospitality to your communal neighbor, maybe where you work or drop your kids off at school or share hobbies. And the last week will be hospitality to the church body. This week, probably of all the weeks, has uh, some room for controversy and conflict. As you think about foreign policy, that's not a super comfortable topic that we all just agree on. Even in this room, there's probably some fairly heated disagreement on that. And so my request of you this morning is that you let go for 30 minutes here of your preconceived notions on it. I'm not going to say this is what God says or here's a command to do. What I want us to look at in this journey together is how is Yahweh God's character consistent throughout all of time and how he calls us to be hospitable to the foreigner, to the stranger. And there's still a lot of gray in that, but there's some specific things he does lay out for us. So that's what we're going to look at. We'll start uh, with a definition. So it's a working definition of hospitality for us. Uh, Really just for today, honestly, it's this. Hospitality is the temporary giving of an unearned status. The temporary giving of an unearned status. And that probably makes absolutely no sense. That's okay. I won't guarantee it, but I hope it'll make sense by the end. Secondly, hospitality is seeing what Jesus sees and being concerned with what Jesus is concerned by. And we would be prudent and wise as followers of Christ not to assume that we're seeing what Jesus sees and that we're concerned by what he's concerned by. We often need the Spirit to open our eyes to see, hear, and feel what he wants us to see, hear, and feel. So with that definition in mind, I want to dive in to Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. The context here is that God has redeemed and saved his people out of slavery and oppression and abuse in Egypt, and he's establishing them in the promised land, their own land, where he will be king. His laws will be the laws of the land, and his way of life will be the way of life in that land. And we read this in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse 33. 
When a foreigner lives with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You must regard the foreigner who lives with you as the native born among you, which means what? You're giving a temporary unearned status as a citizen and to have certain rights with that. He continues, you are to love him as yourself. Why? Remember, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. Then this is the the most key thing in all of the scriptures and in this passage. I am Yahweh your God. This is who I am. This is my character. This is what I embody and what I now want you to embody as my priests. There's a couple key things here. You might be familiar with uh, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the neighbor, according to Leviticus, as Yahweh, God gives us his instruction, is also our foreigner. And so there's a call to be hospitable in this way. But it's not as simple as that. We're going to give an unearned status. But what comes with that? What comes with this unearned status to love your neighbor, to love the foreigner as yourself? And there's a few things here. It means if that foreigner is cold, to provide a code. If he's hungry, to provide food. If he's lonely, to provide company. If he's lost, to provide direction. If he needs shelter and protection from enemies or weather to provide that too. What it really means at its most simplest is to value humanity enough to say, I'm here and I care and you have a place. I'm here and I care and you have a place. But what does that look like tangibly? What I love about the scriptures is we're, we're given a lot of examples actually and I want to go ahead and read out of Ruth uh, which takes place after Exodus and Leviticus. This law has been established. Ruth is a woman in the Bible who is living in a different country, and at this time there's a huge famine. So a lot of the Israelites, a lot of God's people left the land to go seek food elsewhere. And some of them intermarried. And so there's this lady, Ruth, who has a mother-in-law named Naomi. Her two sons, one of which Ruth married, have been killed. They've died, and her husband has died. And so they're going to return to the land of Israel to seek refuge. And that's where we pick up here in Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Ruth the Moabitess she's foreign, that's important in this context, asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. Now, this was a normal thing to do. There were no food stamps or food banks or pantries. There was no way for someone to be provided for except for this. This is a law God Uh, provided for people in need, that people that had fields would leave portions of their fields so that people could glean and have food to eat and be provided for. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. Again, always, he is the main character. Yahweh bless you, they replied. Boaz asked a servant who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite. Again, she's foreigner. That's significant. That matters. Who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Three times now, in case we don't understand. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? 
She came and has remained from early morning until now, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter. She's not his daughter, right? No. So she's, he is providing a temporary unearned status for her to protect and to provide protection and provision. Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my young women. See which field they're harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? Protection. When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Provision. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Side note, The same thing applies. Foreigners, in this case, would be surprised by this type of hospitality and love and protection and provision. People in our culture will also be surprised pleasantly in the best of ways when we begin to value people in this way with this type of hospitality, though they might be a foreigner or foreign or a stranger or strange to us. Boaz answered, Or everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Here's another important side note. As we begin to practice hospitality for the foreigner and stranger, for one another, for our neighbors, We are not being hospitable with what is ours. We're not giving our own food and our own shelter. We're giving what has been borrowed, what God has lent us. We're inviting people not not under our own wing, but under the wing of the Father. My Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me, for you have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, be sure to let her gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Do not rebuke her. Again, Temporary, unearned status is provided. Provision is given. She's comforted. She belongs. She's even honored in this moment. But then that begs the question. We're going to go from the simple to kind of the complex. How far, to what degree, is this unearned, temporary status given and provided? Is there a stopping point? What does it actually look like? These are the the questions we get into as well as we maybe consider foreign policy. And I think Yahweh God addresses that in multiple kind of forms and fashions throughout different cultures and times in the scriptures. And the way we're going to look at it today is by looking at a scale, and I'll I'll put it up here. A scale is something like this. There's choosing to tolerate a person and their ideals and their culture and their customs. Uh, A different level is to permit, to then receive, to welcome, to accept, to affirm, and then finally to endorse. That's a, a pretty big variety and different degrees of embracing somebody and their ideals and their identity and their cultures and customs. And the question kind of becomes, where do we fall in that? What are we called to do? And so I want to define each of those briefly. We'll start with tolerate. 
To tolerate is to endure someone or something unpleasant or disliked with forbearance. And that's a common reality. There's people that you might find unpleasant or that you dislike, and you're probably unpleasant and disliked to some other people. That's our reality in this world. That's not really what God is calling us to merely tolerate some people. Oftentimes, that's what we do, though. The, the next is like a little more pleasant. It's to permit. You're just giving authorization or consent to someone to do something. There's nothing, though, where you're wanting to do this. The, the third word is to welcome. Now, this is different. We're greeting someone arriving in a glad, polite, or friendly way. It means to be glad to entertain someone or receive something. It's to react with pleasure or approval. You start to see the difference. This is a welcoming, come on in, like we've been waiting for you. We're honored that you're here with us. Here's the the seat of honor. It's a delight and a privilege that you're with us tonight. That's different. You're not tolerating or permitting. You're the one who's privileged to have them with you. That's what Emily was talking about. It's the spirit of what we're doing. You're valuing that person to a really high degree in a way that they will feel the way that you're valuing them. We continue on, and you have to accept. This is a different degree. It's to believe or come to recognize an opinion, an explanation, even culture, customs, ideals, as valid or correct. The following is to affirm, we're going further, now to state as fact and to assert so strongly and publicly. And then finally, to endorse. The final level is to declare one's public approval and then now public support of. We're getting behind you. We're endorsing what you, who you are and what you're about. So you start to see there's this scale and there's this tension when we think about people's identity and customs and ideals. What does our God, what does Jesus call us to do in the midst of the gray and these questions? Exodus 12, I think, kind of paints this picture for us. This is prior to Leviticus. The context is that God has already saved, redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt. He's establishing their land, and he's giving them instruction. And in Exodus 12, uh, verses 43 through 49, we read this. The Lord Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, okay? The the Passover just happened, and it is the most iconic symbol of God's power. It was the final of all the miracles he did in Egypt to say that he alone is God, that they are his people, and that he will provide and protect them. He says, no foreigner may eat it. Sounds a little different than what we read in Leviticus, right? There's a, a tension in here. It's not simple. But any slave a man has purchased may eat it after you have circumcised him. A temporary resident or hired hand may not eat the Passover. It is to be eaten into one house. Okay, what is the temporary thing here? There's a question of belonging. Is this person fully in the community or just temporarily in the community? It is to be eaten in one house. You may not take any of the meat outside the house, and you may not break any of its bones. The whole community, entire community, that's important, of Israel must celebrate it. If a foreigner resides with you and wants to, desires to celebrate the Lord's Passover, then every male in his household must be circumcised, and then he may participate. He will become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat it. The same law will apply to both the native and the foreigner who resides among you. Okay, so now we're we're in the middle of complexity and tension. It's not simple, 
There's this call to embrace and to welcome, to delight in the guest of honor and the foreigner, to provide and take care of them, whatever their, their needs might be. And then there's this distinguishment, but, if, but they can't take Passover. They can't truly be us and with us. You know, how do we embrace that? How do you navigate that tension? There's a, a couple things that are key in that passage. God makes this provision that the foreigner if he wants to and desires to, can become a part of the family. They can become a citizen and adopted into the family and embrace all the new statutes and the good and the health of King Jesus, the the true way, the best way of life. They're welcomed to do that. But in this passage, they're not forced to. It's not even the expectation. And so there's this tension of welcoming and bringing in, saying, you you belong here. We're going to take care of you and provide and celebrate your humanity but there's still a difference. Maybe we could articulate that difference by thinking about different tables. We're to welcome all and everybody as they are to the dining table, to share in a meal, to to rejoice in that pleasure and what that means and that intimacy. That's different though. The dining table is different than the voting table. Just because somebody has a seat at the dining table doesn't mean they have a seat at the voting table. There's a distinction made there. And so how do we navigate that? I'm gonna go back to our scale And I think what we see pretty consistently, because God is consistent in his character throughout the scriptures, is that we're to land somewhere in between welcome and accept. So I want to break that down. The welcome is this. We are absolutely to accept and embrace, to honor and value the identity of people as people. To welcome them in, to not just say, yeah, we'll tolerate you. Here's some food if you need it but to delight in their presence, to make them the guest of honor, to offer them the the best drink that you have or the filet mignon or whatever it is, like the best because you're gonna say, we value you being here and we want you to know it. It's actually our delight that you're with us. Here's your seat. Welcome people for people. Why? Because from the beginning to the end of the scriptures, this is what God does. He created the earth and he created people as the, the crown of his creation and he declared it is good. And so we are to declare that when we're in the presence of others, even if they're foreign or strange to us in some way. We're to to declare value. In Leviticus, we see that. God says, honor, protect people. I don't care what their ideals are. They're people, and I made them. It's your breath in our lungs. He gave the same breath to everybody, no matter what their ideals were. We'll take it a, a step further, and we read later in the scriptures that while we were still sinners, that is when Christ died for us. On the cross, he sacrificed himself. What does that mean? When our ideals were totally off, when they weren't what his ideals were, when they didn't match his way of life, that's when he embraced our identity and said, I love you enough to give up my life for you then, in that moment, not when you get it together. One of the things that we are unfortunately known for the most as Christians, as the church, is how terribly we valued people. What we've oftentimes done is allowed ideals that do contradict the way of Jesus to cause us to value people in a terrible way that actually contradicts the way Jesus values people. We've separated it, and we've prioritized people's ideals over their identity as beloved humans that God himself has designed. We've created a dichotomy that's false. It doesn't have to be that way. We can live in the midst. It's hard, but we can live in the midst of this tension between a person's identity as a human being that God created and loves and died for, no matter their ideals, and ideals that are not in line with his way of life. 
I think we as the church, Restoration Church and the church at large, we have work to do here. We should actually be the greatest at this. We should be known for the way that we celebrate people because our God made them and loves them. Again, I think we have work to do. We have to shift our reputation when it comes to valuing human life and human dignity and humanity as a whole. Not because we want to, not because we think it matters, but because he declared over and over again, it is good. So the first part, I think we're called to live into this tension of welcome. The second part is we're called to live into this tension of accepting. Not affirm or endorse, but accept. And I'm going to break that down to two parts. The first part of accept is identity. I covered that. The identity of humans is valuable. Absolutely, we're, we're to accept that. The second part, though, Jesus doesn't. We're not just because we accept people's identity as humanity called to also accept nor affirm or endorse their ideals. There is a way of life that Jesus calls us to that is good and best and healthy, not as a test to see if we can follow his instruction, but just because he's the designer and creator of all of life, and he said, this is what is good and I want it for you. So there's ideals that Jesus does not accept nor call us to accept. No, hear me on this, though. This is key. Just because we don't accept or affirm or endorse does not mean that we're to challenge or confront those ideals. There is a time and place for that. That's necessary for our voice to be heard in love and in respect to challenge ideals that are not in the way of Jesus. But in the midst of hospitality is not it. And Jesus makes that clear. In the midst of hospitality, when we provide a meal and we share, all we're doing is saying, you matter to the most high God. You are loved and you are valuable, not because of what you've done, good or bad, just because you are you. There might be a time and a place later and we have to get better at this as Christians too, especially the loving and in humility and repentance place to confront ideals that are not in line with our faith. But in the midst of hospitality is not that. Also, if, if we have any level of awareness and we, we pay attention, we'll pretty quickly see that proving a point never moves the needle. Telling them our way is better and their way is wrong isn't going to shift anything. Why? because we've not earned the right to be heard. Even God himself earned the right to be heard by us, though he didn't need to. He gave up his life to show his love first. We show love first, and then we talk about ideals second. I'm not saying we don't, but the sequence there is pretty significant. And then here's another key for us to understand in hospitality. This isn't some kind of bait and switch thing. This isn't like, hey, invite people over and then say, let's go to church, come meet Jesus. Like, that's not what this is about. Yahweh God didn't put this implementation here into the scriptures and to the law so that that would happen. His intent wasn't that all the foreigners would just come to know him because of this. He just made the option and the opportunity. If they then saw the community and how it functioned and Israel was doing its job and it was beautiful the way it's meant to be, how they loved and cared for each other and sacrificed for one another, how they were the people that threw the greatest parties and celebrations because they had a God that wanted that for them. Well, then people would maybe choose that opportunity and the option of embracing these new statutes and way of life. But there's a big if here in the middle of Exodus. If they want to partake, then they can. But with that new status, when it becomes permanent, new statutes are also required. Here's the transition. 
from a temporary, unearned status to one that is given permanently. And with that, this word citizen and adoption into the family becomes a reality and things begin to change. Not out of obligation, but out of opportunity. I'm going to close our, our time looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And, and my hope in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, is we see the, the culmination of everything that we talked about. This tension of welcome and accept, delight in who they are. We absolutely accept the identity as human, but we don't necessarily accept varying ideals. Yet if someone wants to step into the love and community and way of Jesus, they have that opportunity. You actually see this in in Ruth. I'm not going to read it, but she says to Naomi, your people will become my people. Your God will be my God. There's a leaving of what was to embrace what will be and what is good and whole. And we kind of see all of that come together in Ephesians chapter 2. Now in a different context. This is the context of the Roman Empire in Ephesus, a Roman colony. We read this. So then, Paul says, Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you, and this applies to us, were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Again, while we were still sinners, it was in that moment, while we were foreign and strange and lacking and walking away and rebelling from Jesus and his way of life, that he gave his life for us. So hospitality starts with first understanding that he gave hospitality to us. And from that foundation and love and well, then we seek to give hospitality as well. And and over and over again, we see this word, remember, that was you. That was us. And out of that experience, we then give. And pick up in verse 13, but now there's a transition. In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. I love this verse. We have access by one spirit through Jesus to the Father. I I picture a, a castle or a kingdom, if you will, in England at some point, like one that had an actual throne room in the midst of a castle. And there's a foreigner that walks up to the castle in need for he and his family. And he walks up and the guards say, hey, you can't come in here. But then there's a a nobleman of the kingdom that says, no, he's with me. And so he escorts him in to the kingdom. And then he gets into a a further area in the inner court of the castle. And again, guards come up and say, hey, you can't come in here. And the nobleman again says, no, he's with me and escorts him further. Then a third time, other guards and people say, you don't belong here. And that nobleman says, no, he's with me. All the way to the king sitting on the throne who then provides What we read here is that that is exactly what Jesus has done. We don't belong. 
in his family. We are not deserving of his love. And at first, he gives us an undeserved, unearned status to, to enter upon the throne. But then he invites us to be adopted into his family. Now, if we do that, though, what we're about to read is that there's a shift. This temporary unearned status is going to change to citizenship, to a part of that family. And with that new status comes new statutes, new laws, a new way of life. There's a shift from hospitality, just welcoming and delighting. There's a choice to be made if we want it, to enter into the family. We continue to read this in verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. There's a shift that takes place, but it's an optional shift, built not on obligation, but on opportunity. And so we have to remember that as we embrace this hospitality practice. Our our job, first and foremost, is to do what Jesus has done, value people. And we've we've got some work to do because we as the church, whether it was us specifically or not, historically, we have a bad reputation. And so now we need to go above and beyond to celebrate people as people because Jesus values them to that degree. That's the welcoming. That's the first part of accepting. Then we have to live into this complicated tension, though, of what do we do then? I love verse 14. It says that Jesus tore down this wall, and that kind of doesn't make sense to us. So I want to read you this paragraph out of a commentary that kind of explains what the Jerusalem temple looked like, how it was laid out. So envision this as we read it. God has torn down the dividing wall of hostility, if you remember that from the passage, and removed the hatred there forever. By dividing wall, Paul likely had in mind the area in the Jerusalem temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the temple. The temple was constructed on an elevated platform, and around it was the court of priests. So you have God's presence in the heart of the temple. Then next is the court of the priests. East of this, just a little further, was the court of Israel. Further east, a little further, was the court of the women. We're getting further away from God's presence. These three courts, though, were all on the same elevation as the temple. So there's some level of unity in this. Then... From here was a walled platform five steps away. So there's this distinguishment and separation saying, you don't belong here. Fourteen steps from there was another wall, which was the outer court for the Gentiles, the foreigners, the strangers. There was an inscription on this wall, warning Gentiles of their ensuing death if they entered the enclosure around the temple. That is the wall that we read Jesus tore down. And so I want to I close with this. When we speak of hospitality for the stranger and the foreigner, what do you consider to be strange in others that Jesus says to welcome? What do you consider to be strange or foreign or different in others that Jesus is actually calling you to welcome, to delight in that person and their, their identity and just say, you as a person are valued. Come, please. It's our honor to have you here. Let us give you of the best that we have because that's what Jesus calls us to. You matter. That's different. And like Ruth who says, why would you do this? People in our culture will say, why would you do that? especially if it's known that there's differences 
There's a foreignness, a strangeness about it. What is strange to you that Jesus says to welcome? That could be politics, could be sexual orientation, could be an economic divide, different classes of some variation, could be different religions or even different sub-understandings of what it means to follow Jesus and different doctrines. Again, we're some of the worst culprits as Christians of creating walls. Now, there's some walls that need to be there. We'll talk about that in a second. But can we just for a moment pause and go, what is strange to us? Jesus says, welcome. They need to know they're valued. Second question is this. What ideals have you accepted that Jesus has not? So on on one end, we've built up walls ourselves and in our church culture that Jesus has torn down. So we need to get rid of those again. But on the other hand, there's some walls that we've torn down that Jesus says, no, those are supposed to be there. Those actually protect and love everybody, and you're tearing them down out of the lack of understanding. Are there ideals in your life that you've accepted, maybe affirmed or endorsed, that Jesus himself has not? See, part of following Jesus, most of following Jesus, is recognizing that we don't understand everything, that we're not God and that's what's best for us. We don't, we don't follow Jesus and embrace what the scriptures lay out because it always makes sense. It doesn't, or otherwise we wouldn't need him. I don't understand everything about God, and I'm really glad about that because if I did, I'd probably be capable of being God, but I'm pretty clueless. So if him and I are on the same level, we have an issue. Sometimes trusting Jesus is going, Jesus, I don't understand what you're asking. This doesn't make sense to me. Matter of fact, I think I I know a better way if you're like willing to listen. But instead we're called to just go, no, this is what he says. And not only does he know what is best, he actually wants what is best for you even more than you want. And he certainly knows what is best more than we know. So finally, the question becomes, what walls have you established are walls that Jesus wants maintained? And what walls that you've established are walls that Jesus wants torn down? May we be a people that live into this tension of welcome and accept, that reflect the character and love of Yahweh God by extending the hospitality that he first offered us. Being a Christian isn't about being comfortable or salvation or flying up to heaven one day. It's about practicing the way of Jesus. It's singing all hail King Jesus because he will be king fully one day. And we're called to invite and welcome people to give them a preview, a foretaste, an appetizer of what life will be like when he is king. That starts first with just valuing. We're delighted to have you here. Accepting partially. Maybe there's a day to dive into the conflict in a healthy, loving, respectful way. There probably is. But first we start by just saying, you matter. May the Spirit give us wisdom to press into that tension. Let's pray. Father, as you call us to be different, to not build fences and barriers and barricades, but just to open doors, May you give us wisdom on how to do that. May you protect us in it. May you guide us in it. May you bless us with your spirit to have discernment of what life looks like, what hospitality looks like in the midst of welcoming and accepting and that tension. 
God, may you stir within us a desire so deep that we just can't deny it to value people, to celebrate them, to honor them because you love. And then by the way we live in love, may they see you and choose to become a part of the community, choose to embrace your way and your new statutes that come with the status as your children. Above all, may you lead us in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Restoration Church. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so glad that you were able to tune in. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. And uh, if you would like to learn more, please go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus.